Hi, this is Ruth Friedman, and I serve as the Maharat at Ohev Shalom, the National Synagogue in Washington, D.C. And welcome back to my weekly Parsha podcast, Life Imitates Torah. So this week we read Parshat Mitzorah, <clears throat> excuse me, which continues to detail the purification process, the, <clears throat> my goodness, for, for the leper, for the Mitzorah, right? Someone who has come down with Sarat. And interestingly, purification pro- processes often involve blood and sprinkling and pouring and all these things. But if you look at chapter 14, verse 14, we see that there is a very specific purification process that is detailed. And the Kohen is going to take some of the blood from the Asham offering, the guilt offering, that the one who's going to be purified from Sarad has to offer. And what's the Kohen going to do? He's going to put it on, I'm reading the JPS translation, the ridge of the right ear of the one who's being purified, on the thumb of that person's right hand, and then on their big toe of their right foot. So in addition to sprinkling and messiness and all of that, we have this very specific process in which the person's ear, thumb, and big toe all on the right side are have the blood placed on them. Now, as you can probably imagine, there are certainly questions about why on earth is this part of the process? And there are explanations that Al-Sheikh has is an example, but I've seen others say it, at well, say it as well, that the reason for this is that it corresponds to what got this person impure in the first place. Now, <clears throat> the Al-Sheikh is using interpretations that the reason someone would get Sarah is because of Lashon Hara, right? They spoke Lashon Hara, um, and that you know, that, that becomes a pretty common explanation um, because, of course, the Torah doesn't tell us why someone gets Sarad, gives the very detailed process of diagnosis and purification, all that, but not why. And so he says, well, this blood on the ear and the thumb um, and the big toe corresponds to the process of Lashon Hara and what it does to someone. First, the ear. The ear, of course, is the body part that listened to this Lashon Hara, right? And, and sort of allowed it in and accepted it. Then once you hear this bad thing about someone else, your brain processes it. And he says, says then the person who, who accepted this Lashon Hara, right? He's, it's interesting. He doesn't say hears, he says accept it. Because you can hear and reject something you hear about someone else. Or you can choose to accept it. So if you listen to it and you accepted it, it says then that person sends out their hand and will strike or kill the person who the Russian horror was about. Right? So first it comes in your ear and then you use your hand to act on it, to lash out at the person who is the subject of this Russian horror. And then why the toe? Because then he says, Veyanus me mat go alehadam hamuka. Right? Because then you're going to run away from the people who are coming to avenge the blood of the person that you killed. Now, this is a very dramatic rendering of what happens to a person when they hear Lashon Hara. I'm sure we've all heard Lashon Hara in our lives and that very few, hopefully none of us, have ever killed someone as a result of it. 
But I think what he's just doing is demonstrating the dramatic nature and the the degree to which the danger of Moshenhar is very real, that it can enter your ear, cause you to kill someone, and then cause you to have to run away. And so these three body parts correspond to the most extreme reaction one can have to Moshenhar, and sort of as a reminder reminder, I guess is the best word, a sign. Um, the person who got Sarat from listening to Lashon Hara, sharing Lashon Hara, has to have the blood placed in these specific places to remind him of the dangers of Lashon Hara. Now, that's certainly one interpretation. I always have mixed feelings about the association of Zara'at and Lashon Hara because it's interesting, and I don't want to just dismiss that, but at the same time, it really isn't connected to the shot, to the text itself. It's a later interpretation. And so when we look at the text itself of Zara'at, there's so much about all the different skin presentations, and just like Corbano, it really kind of grosses me out, I have to say. Um... You know, and, and all the, these processes. And what some have noted is that Sarat is a very isolating condition. You get it. You aren't sure what's going on. You have to wait seven days outside the camp in order to see if it gets worse or does it get better. There's a, it's a lot of waiting and it's a lot of isolation. And that inevitably with that waiting, with that isolation, one is going to feel embarrassed, right? Removed from society, targeted, alienated, all of these things. And so it's very interesting to see that all of the stages of a diagnosis of Tzara'at and then the purification process involve an intimate, direct connection with the Kohen, right? The Kohen has to come diagnose it. And then he has to come outside the camp to, if the person has it, come outside the camp to then analyze it and see if it's healed and then purify the person who has Sarat, etc. It's a very close relationship. I mean, almost like, you know, a relationship that a patient would have with a doctor, right? And it creates a kind of a bond and a very interesting connection between the Matsura and the Kohen. And why is that significant? Well, it's significant because if this person is already feeling, you know, dirty, isolated, judged, impure all of these things, then the relationship that they forge with the Kohen is able to help alleviate some of those feelings and say, it's not, you aren't invisible, right? You have not been rejected by society. In fact, what's happened to you is so serious that I, the Kohen, am setting aside everything else that I have to do to come to see you one-on-one and to treat you one-on-one. Now, what does this have to do with this purification process? So what I find really interesting is that we see this purification, this process of slaughtering an animal and putting blood on the right ear, the thumb, and the big toe twice in the Torah. We see it here as a purification process for the Torah, but also as what was done to Aharon and the Kohanim once a few chapters back in chapter eight in preparation to serve <clears throat> in the Mishkan. They have to offer sacrifices. And part of that process is Moshe takes the blood of the sacrifices and puts it on, with of Aaron and his sons, puts it on the ridge of their right ears, their right thumbs, and their right big toes. Now, why is that interesting? I find this fascinating because we now see that this, this further enhances the connection between the Kohen and the Mitzorah. 
right? Because it's now the only process that's happened. It, it's the only time we see it is with our own and then with the Matsurah. So let's think about for a minute, what makes that so significant? What makes this such a beautiful point? And I think that if, you know, we take a step back from it, let's think about the trajectory of Vayikra. We've constructed the Mishkan. We now have all the instructions of the Korbanot. And now we're going to inaugurate it. And everyone's watching us, this giant spectacle, this amazing thing. And everyone is watching these Kohanim who are clearly at another level in this society, certainly with regard to ritual worship, because it's their responsibility to facilitate ritual worship, get to be donned in all of these fancy clothes and now go through these purification processes so that they can be the direct agents between us and God. And then we pivot and we see, well, okay, those are kind of the most, you know, visible members of society. Now let's go to the most invisible members of society. Let's devote some, you know, chapters just to the Mitzorah, right? Just to the Tzorah. Now, that person is, I think, going to feel even more isolated, even more ashamed, given what's everything that's just happened with the Kohanim, right? Because it's they're the ones who can't come near God. They're the ones who are now impure, the Mitzorah, right? They can't even be in the camp with the people. They have to be outside the camp. That's going to be especially painful after your entire people has just witnessed the inauguration of that space that makes your camp holy in the first place, right? It makes you feel even worse because it comes after that. And so now returning to this process with the ear and the thumb and the toe, what is the significance of it applying to both the Kohen and to the Mitzorah? Well, I think that what it does is it takes a lot of those feelings that the Mitzorah has and flips them on their head. If the Mitzorah is feeling isolated, the complete opposite of the Kohen, just everything, think about for a minute what it must feel like to then have that Kohen stand in front of you and directly apply the blood to the same parts of your body that it was applied to his own body just a little bit of time beforehand. Think about what that must feel like. It's like you suddenly feel that you are part of the royalty, the higher class, you know, you are part of the process of serving God. Yes, you may be outside the camp right now, right? You may have just suffered a process that even if it wasn't intended to be humiliating, kind of was, but now you get to flip that on its head and you get to feel like you are going through the same process as the Kohanim did. And you can imagine what what kind of a boost that would have been to the self-esteem, to the sense of self-worth of someone who has just gone through this experience. And so I think that, you know, when we look at this, I, I think that that's really what we should see is that the recognition that these processes can really isolate people and part of the responsibility of the leadership of that society is to try to alleviate that um, isolation by helping the person see themselves as being as important as the most important members of that society. Shabbat Shalom.